Welcome everyone to Keeping It PG. I'm a big sports fan and have been since I was a little kid. And when any team is on the rise or enjoying a hot streak, I think we all love getting swept up in the excitement that takes hold in the community. And in my lifetime, and certainly in Cincinnati, I think it's been rare that I've seen as much organic excitement as there's been around the debut of our brand new USL professional soccer team, FC Cincinnati. Greater Cincinnati has quickly embraced the team, and many people, myself included, can't wait to see where professional soccer in our community goes from here. So joining me today to talk about all of that and the excitement in FC Cincinnati's first year is Jeff Birding, the president and general manager of FC Cincinnati, who previously in his career had a long tenure working for the Cincinnati Bengals and who also served our community on Cincinnati City Council. And also with us today is Austin Berry, a homegrown soccer star who grew up here in Cincinnati, played for Summit Country Day, arch rival of my own alma mater, Seven Hills, I, I do have to mention that, uh, and who also played in the MLS where he was the Rookie of the Year and has now come home to play for FC Cincinnati. So Jeff, Austin, thank you both so much for joining us here on Keeping It PG. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so Jeff, let's start with you. Um, just share with everybody you know, the story of how FC Cincinnati came to be. I mean, what needs to happen to put a, a brand new professional soccer team together? Uh, what are the ingredients that have to come together? Sure. Well, when I left City Council... Uh, in, Don't look so happy about that, by the way. <laughs> in, uh, in, in 2011, I was uh, recruited to be on the board of my kids' uh, select uh, team, uh, Hammer FC, and uh, I was an executive at the Bengals and um, had some opportunity to get involved on the, in the local soccer scene at a high level. And uh, I was approached in 2014 to see if I'd be interested in bringing professional soccer to Cincinnati through a USL franchise. And I met with the uh, commissioner and uh, president of the league and uh, brought George Joseph with me, who was a high school buddy of mine. And um, we uh, were given an 18-month license, conditional license, to see if we could pull together the place to play, the ownership group, and the management team. Uh, we talked to the Reds and Bengals about playing at Great American or Paul Brown Stadium. Neither of those uh, worked out. So we turned our attention to uh, UC and Xavier, we just sort of felt you can't be a professional sports team if you're playing in a high school stadium. Right, right. So uh, we had interest in both colleges, but it went further at uh, UC. And uh, one day I had a call from Carl Lindner asking if I was the guy behind the, uh, the <laughs> pro soccer effort. So he That's had, a good call to get. It was. <laughs> so we had lunch that same day. Huh. And, um, and, and from there, uh, he and I sort of put together the, uh, uh, the ownership, rest of the ownership group and... Um, and uh, got the uh, got the license, and uh, with the once the lease was done at UC, we could announce it formally uh, to play at Nippert, and it's just been great ever since. But before you'd been approached, is this a thought that had been, and, and as you were coaching your kids' team, and obviously you have a long, successful sports background, but is this a thought you had sort of had on your own, or did well um, for 19 years at the Bengals, I would get the NFL sponsorship deck, and in the sponsorship deck, it would sort of show the sports pyramid in the U.S. and obviously the NFL. Uh, was always the top of the pyramid. But the interesting thing was, you know, 19 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, soccer wasn't even in the pyramid. Right. And then about 10 years ago, soccer came into the U.S. sports pyramid. And then in particular, over the last five years, it skyrocketed to the point now where if you ask Americans 
uh, 12 and older, what's their favorite sport? You get the NFL, MLB uh, for baseball, college football, and then soccer. But then if you break it down and look at the Nielsen ratings for Americans 18 to 49, what sports are they watching on TV? Yeah. Right? NFL, college football, soccer wow. is number three. Yeah. Head of the NBA, head of Major League Baseball, NHL, uh, college basketball, and the like. So clearly I saw... Right. The rise of soccer. And I thought that soccer was an important marker of a progressive community. Uh, I saw the marketing among millennials, and here we are trying to recruit the top college graduates from around the country to come to Cincinnati to work for Kroger and Procter and & Gamble and other yeah. companies, that you know, soccer would be an important calling card that right. shows that we're a progressive Global community. sport, forward-looking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, I didn't do this because I wanted to leave the Bengals and come run a soccer team, I got involved in this just because I thought it was important for Cincinnati. Right. Well, one other question, because you've made it all sound like it was pretty effortless. And, you know, from those of us watching from the outside, it's been, you know, a beginning that I don't think any of us could have imagined things would be going this well. What's been the, what was the hardest part? If someone's, you know, to podcast listeners who say, I want to start my own professional soccer team, what were some of the sort of, um, you know, well, the, biggest, the, 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 the biggest thing was to find a place to play. Right. And we were very blessed. I, I give all the credit to Santa Ono and the UC Board of Trustees and Mike Bone, their athletic director. Right. All of our success is really sort of anchored in the fact that we have a great venue at Nippert Stadium. Uh, it's it's obviously in a growing urban environment with what's everything that's going on in uptown. Yeah. Uh, and so it's attractive for people to go to the bars and restaurants before and after the matches. And obviously it's it, the soccer field and the facilities there fit very well. So um, that's been the most essential part. And it was also, in, to some degrees, the hardest part to pull off. The other reason why it was so critical is, obviously, we're, we're drawing good crowds. We have suites. We have club seats that are sold out. We have all kinds of sponsorship opportunities there, which bring in money for us to run this at a top level so we can afford to have a really great roster, so right. we can afford to have John Harks as our coach, so we can afford to have some of the senior-level staff people we have working for us that make it look like it's going pretty well. Well, it's right. because we have pretty good people you know, doing the work. Right. Uh, Austin, I, before I sort of ask, pose a question to you, I feel like I should you know, just acknowledge up front I have not been a very good soccer player since the days of toe balls and say soccer, so I come with not a great knowledge depth. But um, you are the native son who came back home when did FC Cincinnati sort of first get on your radar, and how did it, you know, eventuate that you became part of the squad? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, as soon as it, as soon as they made the announcement, I mean, I got several calls, especially from my sister, beginning, you know, saying like, "Hey, when are you signing for FC Cincinnati?" And some of my old coaches were like, "Hey, we're excited to have you back." I'm like, "Do you guys know something that I don't know?" Where, where were you when when you South first Korea. heard the news? I was in South Korea, so I woke up to voicemails and, <laughs> and messages from people like, "Hey, are you coming back?" So, right. Um, you know, it started last summer, and you know, at that time, it I was like, "Oh, you know, that's cool." You know, I don't know if I'm ready to come back yet. Um, I was really enjoying my time over there, and then uh, yeah, as more and more of the announcements came about, and how serious this thing really was, and talking to people, some some of my inside people, just being from here, and and really seeing how how much of a legit operation it was. Um, you know, it kept growing, and then Ryan and John. Um, you know, got in contact with me, and, and we kept a steady line of communication throughout my season over there. And um, then when I came back, it was, uh, you know, a couple of stressful weeks of, of really thinking. But, uh, you know, the few days leading up to me signing, you know, the conversation that I had with, with everyone um, that was a part of the staff and, and the coaches and some of the other players that they were bringing in, knowing them from before, 
it was an easy decision in the end, and uh, you know, I haven't really looked back at it since. You know, it's, it's very exciting to be back here. As you were a star player growing up in Cincinnati, is this sort of a dream you'd had, and then you know, it became a possibility once once we got a team? Or I mean, I don't know if it's a dream because you know, growing up here, you know, there wasn't living here. You know, there wasn't soccer. I mean, right. I can tell you honestly that. Uh, yeah, I barely watched soccer because I didn't grow up watching it. You know, I was a Bengals fan. I mean, baseball was was, was my main sport until I got to, got to high school, um, and you know, I still played basketball throughout uh, throughout high school to see if that dream was still alive. Right. And it really wasn't. Right. But uh, you know, I always thought about coming back to Cincinnati, but I thought it was going to be in a, a coaching kind of. Uh, standpoint but um, well, maybe it still will down the yeah, line yeah you know that's yeah. that's you know something still down the line so to be back here playing soccer driving on the same roads that uh you drove on to go practice club soccer right. play high school games it's it's still for me it's it's still weird um but uh i'm loving it being back home and and seeing friends and family and people who never even watched a game of soccer in their life that right coming to games and are like oh we just got our season tickets we went a couple of times had to buy tickets and and they're they're loving it so that's that's the biggest surprise for me is seeing um soccer being embraced by people who have never watched soccer before yeah jeff we're all eager to grow the population <laughs> of our city kudos to you on helping do it even by pulling people from south korea um we're doing this it's a global effort so you know fc cincinnati obviously has just taken the city the community the region by storm what what do you attribute that to? Are we a, a soccer town and we sort of needed the outlet? Have you all created an appetite that wasn't previously there? I mean, what do you, what yeah. do you why has this you know just sort of gripped people so much so quickly? I, I think it's a few elements built on top of one another. I think the first thing is um, you know the the youth side, the youth soccer community that's been going on in this uh, town for four decades, I mean really five decades going back to the seventies, right. Uh, I played in the 70s growing up on the west side. I was a goalkeeper. Were you better than me, I hope? I, I, I would hope so, based <laughs> on what, how you describe yeah. yourself. It's uh, a low bar. Um, but, you know, the, the, the youth soccer community here has been strong for decades. Right. We have youth teams. Uh, my son's team, uh, Jack, he's a sophomore in St. X. His club team, state cup champion, wow. competed in the U.S. National League, goes to Disney, wins their bracket at Disney. Um, so... You know, we, we have teams winning literally the, the national championship on the club side, both on the girls' and the boys' side. Uh, we have over 50,000 active youth soccer players in this area when you include wow. Say Plus Club. So the first thing is we're standing on the shoulders of youth soccer coaches who have been doing this for, for years. Right. That's the first part. The second part is and I, is this, what I call the civic piece. This, this is a proud people we are very proud of Cincinnati. We don't like people to look down on us as some small Midwestern podunk town. No, we are Cincinnati, Ohio. We're a world-class city, yeah. and we want our city to be on the map successfully. And so I think a, a very big part of what's happening is that civic pride is kicking in, and people are like, well, I don't know a whole lot about soccer, but I hear people saying that it's important, yeah. that it's important to our future, and I want my kids to go away to college uh, and, I, and come back to Cincinnati or go to school at UC or Xavier locally and stay here. And so if having a professional soccer team is a good thing for that, then I want to be a part of making it succeed. So I think that is number two. Yeah. I think the number three is, is the social element. 
that we have a very good team. We have great guys. It's a fast-paced game. It only takes two hours. So the games. Can are I get seven. an amen? Yeah, so, so I like that too. It starts at seven. By nine o'clock, you're going off to have yeah. dinner with your friends. If you have uh, uh, kids, you're getting them home to put them in sleep. They're asleep by ten o'clock. And so I think that the third piece is sort of that what I call positive social vibe. Yeah. That we're sort of the the it thing a little bit. That is a fun social thing to do that people are finding a way to fit it into their schedules. Yeah. And so I think you take the youth soccer piece, you put the civic pride, and then you cap it off with, hey, it's fun. Yeah. And I, all of a sudden, you're getting fifteen to 20,000 people. I, I agree with all three of those, just with sort of one addition. I feel like Cincinnatians, they're fine to sort of talk trash to each other and complain internally. But the second anyone externally wants to badmouth our city, we are all about, you know, sort of civic pride. And, you know, I think there's no quite – I actually just went to my first FC game recently, and it was a great – in addition to the on-field talent being good, um, you know, the environment was great. It was a very fun thing. Austin, what about you? I mean, should we be surprised that FC Cincinnati has um, taken the city by storm to the degree that it has, or would you have seen this coming? Uh, you know, if you would have asked me this this time last year, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said this was coming. But as soon as I got back – um, seeing the amount of people, and, you know, the team wasn't even together. We had, you know, the, the 10 first signings, and I was already hearing all the talk about, oh, I already bought $400 worth of, of gear. We're getting season tickets. Right. Can't wait to come. So as soon as I got back here and, and was hearing family, friends, and friends that I grew up with that, you know, like I said, weren't soccer fans, the excitement, I had a feeling um, that it was going to be huge. But, uh, you know, the last few games, even, you know, that first home game for me was fantastic to see people show up. And I think we're making a statement, you know, to our league, to the country, and, and to the MLS of, you know, even across the seas, you know, people are saying, like, a, you know, a third-tier team, USL, like they're drawing 25,000 yeah. fans. You know, people are everywhere is talking, you know, everyone's talking about it. So it's, you know, it's, it has been surprising to me, but, I, you know, I also saw a little bit of this coming. You, you mentioned yeah. the attire. I feel like anyone that does not have an FC Cincinnati scarf has a deficient wardrobe. <laughs> Clearly, that's a staple. Oh, yeah. So, what's the? Uh, it's it's game day. Uh, you're you know you're playing. The team's out there. What's the coolest part of an FC game for you? Uh, I was, well, you know, for me, I've only been able to have two home games, and it's scoring two goals. <laughs> you know, scoring. Yeah, that uh, that for me has been fantastic. You know, I was looking forward to that game for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so to be able to score and, and celebrate in front of. All my friends and family, you know, before playing in Chicago or Philly or South Korea, you know, I only had so many friends or family in the stands, and now I get all my friends and family. Yeah, in the, the native son. So that's it's really it's surreal to me. Like I said on the field after it, that you know, knowing that they're all up there watching. Um, so that's that for me is to be able to play in front of you know all those people that couldn't normally come watch me play live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Jeff, I, I want to know your, what you think is the coolest part of watching a game, but also where do you watch a game from? I know where Austin is during a sure. game, but. Um, I, I've watched some of the game in the Bailey. Right. Uh, Are you watched, cool enough to watch from the Bailey? Well, they think so. <laughs> That's not for me to say, but no one's asked me to leave. That's good. Um, uh, I've I've watched some from I have uh, club seats, uh, and then I also have a suite where I'll sometimes entertain. Uh, you know the Bengals. So play. you're moving around. So I'm moving around a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Coolest part of a game for you? Um, Austin scoring goals. <laughs> well, uh, when the game is over and we're ahead on the scoreboard, is absolutely the coolest part right. because this is a competition. And it, we could do great, but if we're not ahead on the scoreboard in right. the game, it's tempered a little bit. <clears throat> sure, for, for sure. Right. Um, but uh, you know, when when we score and the, and the Bailey puts off smoke is pretty cool. Uh, when the Bailey's singing songs and uh, it's sort of taking a wave into the rest of the stadium is very cool. 
Um, I like the player intro when the guys come out. We have a very cool video we show up on the screen. Right. That gets the crowd sort of fired up a little bit, sort of like a pump-up video. Right. That I get chills on. I think that's pretty awesome. And some of these sort of European-style soccer rituals and traditions, did just an organic sort of fan base know to do stuff and to bring it to life? Did someone need to give a tutorial at some point? I mean, because it is one of the coolest parts. So let me tell you, that's a part that I had to learn. (laughs) And I I, really, in the NFL... Austin, I I knew he wasn't cool enough for the daily. In in the NFL, the team scripts everything. Right. Everything that happens in an NFL game has been scripted by the, the home team. Here, I had to learn that what goes on in the Bailey among the supporters is literally of their creation, yeah. dictated mm-hmm. by them, and, and they resist any level of sort of corporate or club yeah. uh, uh, control or even involvement. Uh, so as an example, the songs, um, you know, those are their songs. Uh, Tifos, that's their, those, that's their art. Right. Uh, the chants, that, that's their... And so... We didn't come up with any of it. That's all of their creation. The people in the Bailey are the biggest supporters. They're the guys that are watching Arsenal or uh, Spurs or Crystal Palace this right. weekend. Uh, and may, they've been to MLS games, uh, maybe up in the crew or other markets. So they understand what their role is, and they take that role very seriously. So I think part of the challenge for us as we launched was to have credibility with that group right. so that they understood, hey, this, the, these guys understand that this is our piece, and we're going to do it, and they're going to let us have You're going to be able to do your thing. Yes, yeah. And, yeah. And, and we gave them their own seating section, the Bailey, which, again, going back to Nipper, it's a very cool place for them to do it's it. It's awesome, yeah. And, and so all of a sudden it got a real positive uh, vibe among the supporters, that like, hey, we're going to have some fun with this. Right. So, yeah. Austin, backing up a little bit, um, you know, for those of us like me that were not good at soccer, uh, share a little bit of your story. I mean, when when did someone first put a soccer ball in front of you? When did you realize, okay, this is something I'm I'm really good at, and you know your sort of journey to becoming a, a yeah. very successful professional player? Well, like like every other kid in Cincinnati growing up, you're a multi-sport athlete. Right. Um, obviously, baseball was always big, uh, always big in this city. But it, my childhood, that's when football. We were starting to get the national attention on high school football. Right. So St. Axe and Cole Rain and all them were coming up. But, uh, you know, I played baseball, basketball, soccer up until high school. Um, baseball faded out, and I just played basketball, soccer. But as I was going into high school, I kind of chose Summit Country Day from a soccer perspective, um, you know, outside of it being a fan. And for those listening, fantastic. I should say, Austin and I are sitting peacefully next to each sitting other, despite peacefully. my Seven Hills background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jeff is a testament to soccer bringing people together. That's right. right. It's always a discussion of... If I hate Seven Hills or Cincinnati Country Day more, so <laughs> peace in our time, I right? Decided, yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, it wasn't really till high school that I was like, yeah, I'm playing soccer, um, and making that goal was, yeah, I'm signing Division One soccer. Um, but I, you know, I still love basketball and wanted to play it. Um, you know, it's you know, I kind of accredit credit that to you know a lot of Cincinnati's uh, development soccer is that you're good at all sports. You're playing year round. Right. Um, you're not just you're not getting brain dead. I, I've seen plenty of quality soccer players that I grew up playing with that were much better than I was. I, mean, I was an athlete first before I was a soccer player. I saw much better soccer players than me just get burnt out. Mm. Um, and so I was fortunate enough, like a lot of a lot of other guys that went on to play soccer in college with me, you know, we played other sports year-round, and it, it always kind of kept that that hunger for me to to want to get back to soccer season or you want to get back to state cups. So, you know, but I love, you know, I love all kinds of sports. It's not just... When, not when just did you realize this is something I can get paid to do in front of large crowds? Yeah, it was 
probably at that same time, or, you know, seventh, eighth grade, so kind of middle school, I was like, I got one or two years left playing baseball. Papa's going to hate me. Right. Uh, you know, he played every other sport. He was all American at McNeck for every sport except for soccer. So it's like, ah, I got to play baseball a couple of years, but this, I'm playing soccer. You know, I'm, so, I'm going to go to college, play Division One. you know, big school soccer, and then I'm going to go, I'm going to go play on it. It never, everyone, I always hated, uh, I always hated people asking, oh, what are you going to do if soccer worked out? Or what's that? It was, yeah, I always hated that question. It was, well, I'm playing soccer. Right. You know, I don't have a backup plan. Um, you know, I'm putting everything into that. And, uh, and, you know, I was fortunate enough that I've made it this far. Yeah. What, what would surprise, and Jeff, feel free to chime in here too, what would surprise people most, Austin, about the sort of day-to-day life of a professional soccer player or, you know, including someone playing for FC Cincinnati? Yeah, you know, I would just say uh, how much work there is off the field that you don't see. Um, we have plenty of guys that'll... You know they'll they'll go ahead and they'll wake up at six o'clock, go to the coffee shop, and then go to the yoga bar, do an hour of yoga before they drive into training, and do more stretching before they get on the field. Um, there's guys that'll that'll leave and go do needling or acupuncture. You know, right. It's all focused on the next day of training. How good can you feel, and how much can you put into the next day of training? There's guys that are, if you're injured, um, like myself right now, of of getting up two hours before the team, getting right. your work done, so you're out on the field with the team, and then doing more treatment after that. So, you know, I think a lot of people just see, oh uh, yeah, they go to they go to the field and then they go home and nap and lay by the <laughs> pool. You know, that's that's very you know few and far between right, right. for those days. You know, it's all the, you know, it's a twenty four hour job. It's not a it's not a four hour job. Everyone I, thinks we're done at noon. I feel like I've seen the statistics. Yeah. What's the number on how many how much a soccer player runs during an actual match? I mean, I know in a lot of it's a dead sprint. There's different but. positions, yeah, but it, you know, it's up there. I mean, I've played in many games where you're running only two or three miles because you're kind of boxed in against another team, and you're playing other games you're running six, seven miles. Right. You know, certain positions. So, you know, and it's it's such a long season. There's a lot of running. There's a lot of travel that uh, that you have to be focused for the the nine, ten months, eleven months that you're playing. Even you know, even in an off season, it's. It's you got a couple of weeks to take a break, and then it's well, I got to get fit for preseason. Right. So. I think um, the 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 realization that these guys are professional athletes. Right. But soccer is still on that growth paradigm in this country, and that includes financially. And so right. you know we have some guys that can certainly make a comfortable living with us, and you have other guys that are literally valeting cars right. and Boca and and waiting tables at Jay Alexander's because... To be able to do it, yeah. Yes, but, um, you know, it's, um, you know, compared to the Bengals where I think the minimum salary this year is about six $550,000. Yeah, they do all right. Uh, the guys on the practice squad are, are certainly making, uh, you know, six figures plus. So, um, you know, the thing that I admire about our guys is, you know, they really are um, trendsetters. You know, these these guys are the explorers that crossed, you know, um, uh, crossed the, this country, you know, Lewis and Clark. Yeah. These guys are paving the way for, you know, down the road. You know, the the, the, the guys making all that money for the Bengals today, that's because of the guys in the 70s. Who like didn't Bob, get paid that like, much, like yeah. Like Bob Trumpy and Dave Lapham and guys right. like that. Um, but built the popularity in the country and the money followed it. And so these guys are certainly, and I think our crowds show it, and, you know, we're, we're getting a 14 share on our TV broadcast, wow. which is tremendous. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, so, so I think certainly, you know, they're building it 
in this country and somewhere down the road there's going to be guys hopefully these guys get to be a part of that but certainly down the road maybe guys like my son will have an opportunity to say wow that now we absolutely have the opportunity to make this you know a a a, a almost you know somewhat lucrative career. Yeah. but these guys are following their passion and I always tell people I admire I've gotten to know the guys and I admire them because you know it's not like hey if you make it in the NFL you're making just a god's sum of money right. here you know you may, you may be comfortable right. and some guys not even that <clears throat> but they're following their passion they're pursuing their dreams of being a professional soccer player that and that's what their passion is and how can you not admire that yeah, Austin, a generation from now, tell the, the then, you know, FC Cincinnati squad, they owe the old-timers a debt yeah, of gratitude. Yeah, probably part in of, our day, we had to walk to train. Exactly, part of their salary, uphill. too. <laughs> through so, the snow. Yeah, yeah through the snow. <laughs> uphill both, both ways. ways. Yeah. So, Jeff, uh, you all have landed, it was recently announced, landed a Premier League uh, match. Talk to, for, and for folks that, I guess, maybe aren't quite as soccer-savvy, one, talk about what a big deal that is, and two, how'd y'all make it happen? Sure. So, uh, we're hosting Crystal Palace of the English Premier League. That's the first tier. In, uh, in England, uh, the most popular, uh, lucrative uh, league in the world. And Give an uh, analogy for, I mean, this is like, you know, the, the Bulls, come, the, the Michael Jordan Bulls coming to town, or the, I mean, it's... Yeah, the, it's, I mean, it's, um, it would be like, um, you know, the, the Akron Zips in college football hosting the Dallas Cowboys. Right, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the, um, you know, Kansas City Chiefs. It's huge. So how'd you so, pull it off? <laughs> so, um... We were we were we made good luck for ourselves. Right. We we scheduled with the league, and the league had to comply. We had an open Saturday in July. We expressly requested that open Saturday in July because that's right around the time that the teams in the English Premier League are starting their preseason. So, and a lot of them will look to come to the United States, and so they'll schedule three games: one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast, one in the Midwest. And normally, the one in the Midwest is the second game. So it's the weekend game. So they have a Wednesday, a, a Saturday, right. and a Wednesday. Right. So, of course, the East Coast is going to be a Wednesday, and the West Coast is going to be a Wednesday, and the Midwest is going to be a Saturday. And we had an open Saturday, in which we... I'm impressed with the foresight. So, uh, so, so then we have a coach, John Harks, who obviously has an uh, unrivaled international network. And then uh, a special consultant to me is, in, in my role as GM is Mark McCullers, who is the president GM of the Columbus Crew for 10 years he scheduled international friendlies. So he had relationships. And so teams were contacting us as early as January and contacting John, and Mark was contacting his people that he had done deals with before, putting out there, we had an open Saturday. And so we were getting lots of uh, looks, uh, but then you also have the economics of it, where they want, you know, you write a check, sure, they sure. have them come play you. Right. Well, how much is the check? Okay, how many tickets can I sell? How much concessions? UC gets the parking, you know, um, what about premium seating and, and the like. And so all of a sudden you sort of figure out this is a range of what we think we can pay someone. Right. So now we're trying to narrow it into who's who's available, who's willing at the right price. Right. And so Crystal Palace came to us a few weeks ago. We thought it was perfect. Um, they are an uh, up-and-coming team. They were promoted a couple years ago. They obviously were in the FA Cup final on Saturday against Man United. Um, they they play a very attacking style, similar to what we play, 
and so we think it'll be a very high energy game. What will this be the biggest day in uh, FC history when it happens? We believe we'll sell out Nippert Stadium for yeah, sure. Phenomenal. Yeah, our ticket prices are ten to thirty dollars. Right. Part of our success. I like that too. Part of our success is that we're very uh, affordable for families who right. are looking for things to do, uh, and so we didn't want to lose sight of that. People who are coming to our games, we wanted them to have the opportunity to afford to come to see Crystal Palace. From the moment we launched this with Carl Linder, we said we're going to bring professional soccer at the highest level to Cincinnati. Bring an English Premier League team was consistent with that statement. Right. So before we, a couple more questions before we uh, conclude with a lightning round. So sort of talking about in the direction you're already headed, there are already murmurings about possible MLS status. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I guess, where are things today? What's the process for that look like sure. moving forward? What would the timeline be? Sure. So we felt it was important when we launched to talk about our aspirations to the MLS because not a lot of people in this market would know about the USL. They certainly have some awareness that MLS would be comparable to MLB, the right. NBA, NFL. So we felt we had to share that the USL is an aspirational league and that many of the teams in big league markets, be it a Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Sacramento, San Antonio, have those kinds of aspirations, right. just like we do. Ever since then, we've sort of just been focused on, okay, now that we shared that so people understand what the goal is, we just need to focus on our first season, having a winning team, let's try to win the league championship, let's draw as many people as we can, have a great experience, be the best USL franchise we can be. There's 29 teams, it's a great league. The league's important because when you're introducing professional soccer to a market, the soccer better be quality soccer. Sure. If people sit in the stands and go, God, that's ugly, right. that isn't any fun, well, then you're going to fail. And so the league has been critical. So we are not ahead of ourselves. We're focused on the USL. Having said that, of course, the media and others are taking notice of what we're doing. And there has been, you know, some uh, level of awareness uh, raised towards us. And it's been very positive. I would share with you what has been said publicly, which is that they're going to go from 20 to 24 over the next few years. And then they're going to have a process to go from 24 to 28. There will be a process. Right. The MLS controls the process. <laughs> they have the rules. They have the timeline. They have the criteria. All we want to do this year is make sure that Cincinnati is a part of the conversation. When people talk about what is that next group of cities that we should be talking about. Have Cincinnati in the mix. Yeah. We want to be in the mix. Yeah. Absolutely want to be in the mix. But. At this point, we need to be respectful of the MLS and their process and their time. It's a very thoughtful and diplomatic and I'm sure smart answer, too. But I, I only ask because, you know, you hear the murmurings and these things. And I guess, Austin, on your end, having, you know, played in the MLS, any, any two cents you would add about, you know, how, what that would be for Cincinnati to, to, you know, go from having a USL team to an MLS team? or I mean, I think Jeff hit the nail on the head. You know, we got to take care of ourselves. Sure. Um, if, if we're showing the league and, and the country, how well we're doing things and doing the right things both on and off the field, we're going to be in that conversation, and then we're going to start having that conversation with them. So as long as we're taking care of ourselves and, and winning, and you know, I grew up in a city, you, we got to have, we got to be quality on the field. You know, right. we got to have a winning team, and, and I think we're showing that right now, and even our, our short beginning as a club, you know, we've, you people forget in the, all the success, we've only known each other for right. four or five months now. Right, so, right. um, in that short time, we've, we've gotten a lot of good results. We're going to keep growing and, and getting better and getting used to the guys. So we're just going to, you know, look out for ourselves. And, and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we'll kind of take care of everything else. You guys both sound like you have appropriate mission focus. I can well, appreciate that. Well, I will that. say for the people that are listening, you know, there's things that they can do. You know, the, go to games. <laughs> well, buy season tickets. Sure. You know, the 
the reason season tickets are so important, and the MLS has you know sort of publicly when they talk about why Sacramento is attractive, they talk about the number of season <clears throat> tickets. Right. The reason that's important is because it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. By and large, most people who are season ticket holders are going to keep them yeah. at a high percentage yeah. if you do right. Yeah. Versus someone comes to a game but they may not come back. And so, you know, that's why we've pushed hard to get season tickets. We're up over 6,000. You know, we'd love to get to 7,000, 7,500 this year. We're pushing season tickets, prorated, of course, for the balance of the season. That's the best way to get Crystal Palace tickets. Right. Um, because if we get to 7,500 by the end of this year, and then, you know, in the off season, a big push, maybe get to 10,000, then we'll be catching up to the Sacramento uh, and some of the other markets that the MLS views as very attractive. Of course, part of it is, you know, how are you doing with your sponsorships? And, you know, that's a much more of a corporate thing. But for the people listening, you know, hey, I want this to work. How can I help? Go out and get season tickets. So in, in the spirit of that, uh, what website should they go to? And by the FCCincinnati.com. way, FCCincinnati.com. And what should they, you know, Twitter handles they should be following? Austin, we'll throw your Twitter handle out there. Yeah, I've been very inactive on Twitter. <laughs> well, now the pressure's on yeah. to, to juice it up a little bit. Yeah. But is, is, is FC's... We, yeah, uh, we, we're, on, we're on Twitter, Facebook, um, we're adding uh, almost 100 Twitter uh, followers a day right. for the last 90 days. So, folks, don't, don't get left out of the conversation. All right, we're going to do a quick lightning round so you guys can each just give your, your short answer here. So, Austin, your favorite athlete growing up? Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin. Yes. Jeff? Uh, Pete Rose. Pete Rose. All right. Both, uh, both baseball guys. All right. Uh, of the sports you played, Austin, you were obviously a very gifted athlete across the board. Of the sports you played, which were you the worst at? Were you bad at any sports? I was not great at soccer growing up. Like I said, I was right. there's hope for everybody yeah, out there. If, yeah, my parents watch it. My parents think anybody can make it to professional soccer <laughs> from what they saw at a young age with me. So they're still shocked. All right, so parents of you know six year olds, eight year olds, you yeah, know, don't don't, give, don't despair don't if they're not up. yet pro yeah. material. Jeff, sport you were worst at? Uh, probably basketball. All right, I, 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 I we should a, play then. I might make I, me feel I, I, better. I was I was, I was uh, a pretty decent uh, baseball player growing up. Uh, and uh, um, I was a pretty good soccer player, but I was a goalie. Right. So I want to be fair. I never scored a goal in my whole life. Um, and uh, when I played football at St. X, I was a pretty decent football player. Right. So I would have to say by default, basketball. There you go. All right. So Austin, uh, when a game goes to PK shootout, what's going through your head? Not much. Yeah. Kind of just blank. All right. Yeah. Jeff, on, on, on the goalie side of things, what's going through sure, your head? Uh, no pressure. No, really. <laughs> really? There's no pressure. The everyone thing, expects no, the... No, everyone expects the shooter to make it every time. So right. as a goalkeeper, you have no pressure at all. And it's just, you know, but a level of confidence that I know I can get at least one of these. Right. Austin, yeah. best soccer player you've ever seen play? Uh, well, I've been fortunate enough to play against a few big names, like uh, Thierry Henry and right. Robbie Keane. Um uh, I would say those are th- those are two of the hardest guys I've ever had to play against. Um, playing with, I had an opportunity to play with Pavel Pardo, whose nickname is El Presidente. He couldn't go anywhere with that guy without a bunch of you know S- Spanish-speaking people running up to him. Oh, Presidente, Presidente, yeah. and and Arnold Friedrich would have been probably one of the best players that I played with. Um, um, the other center back that was with me in my rookie year. Jeff, to make this easier on you, so it's not like you know. Picking between your favorite children, best soccer player not on FC Cincinnati that you've ever seen play, and it could be on, on you know TV well, or in person. Obviously, Pele. Right. I just did you see him play? Um, not in person, but on, but on yeah, TV yeah, as sure. a kid growing up. Right. But just on Saturday at the Esquire uh, Theater Saturday night, I introduced the movie to the audience there because we have a FC as a partnership yeah, yeah, yeah. with the Esquire. So uh, certainly uh, Pele. 
Um, I'm a big Messi fan. I think Messi is just unbelievable. Right. Um, and I would say my son Jack has some, <laughs> I was gonna has, say. Has some teammates. <laughs> teammates. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jack himself. Uh, but, uh, Jack has uh, been off for the last uh, eight months with concussions, and he just literally just got back. But uh, uh, he has a couple guys on his team who are good players. So. Well, we, we wish him well. We wish uh, FC Cincinnati all the best. Jeff Austin, thank you guys both so much for joining us today. It was fun. Thank you. Uh, that will do it for today's episode of Keeping It PG. You can find our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can keep up with me on Twitter. Handle is at PG Sittenfeld. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon.